bringing their problems to me for as long as I can remember. I have one of those faces that just says, tell me what's going on. And now I have one of those podcasts that says, go ahead, tell me what's going on. Welcome to Mess in Progress. Hey guys, and welcome to Mess in Progress with myself, Gina Brion, and my lovely co-host slash everything person, Catherine G. Mendoza. Catherine, say hi to the people. Hello, people. So... For anybody listening to this, it won't be relevant, but if you're watching, you know we filmed this back to back because we're wearing the same clothes. Same outfits. I did not even do an outfit change. I considered it. I was like, Me too. Should I do this? But then I thought, um, I think I have to consult with Gina because I can't change clothes and then you are the same. And then I'm like, really girl you even told me we was changing outfits like that. I gotta go have a whole wardrobe change now in the middle of us filming. Like, nah, I thought about it and I was like, I'm too pregnant. I can't. Yeah, no, I don't care. We're home. Yes, we're doing two a day. Three a day sometimes. You're going to see. You're lucky I'm wearing an outfit. Like, I should be in a long t-shirt. You're like, no panties with socks on, just chilling. Like, one of them ugly, like, Cheeto-stained t-shirts that you wear at night so you can snack. Like, I should be tore up right now. The fact that I have showered, you're welcome. (laughs) I'm going to say, even though, really, nobody knows if you showered. because They don't. They don't. I don't have any stink lines coming up for me. But you know what? (laughs) Stink lines. But you know what I think is so much more interesting? How, like, you really get to see us in our space. Because, like, I considered how to make myself more comfortable during these. So -hmm. that's why I have a pillow here. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, I I need some oil for my chair because it goes... Yeah, I'm sitting on a single chair right now because the past couple of times I've been sitting on a on a box because <laughs> we're moving, so we didn't have anything like so I was sitting on like a crate or like a box or something, and now I'm on a little swivel chair. Ooh, upgrade. <laughs> I'm a queen. Oh my god. No, I feel like when you think about Zoom, I don't know if I prefer the recording studio or the Zoom because I am comfortable. Like in my home. Yeah. I, I I don't I feel like the only difference is that we're being recorded via camera. Yeah. You know? But like I'm in all comfort in the in every moment that we're talking to people. Yeah. I, I literally notice if I like what they're saying, I see myself on camera like leaning a bit and going, just listening. <laughs> yeah. I get very fidgety because I forget that we're, I'm on camera now. So you will see me adjust my boobs several times during these Zooms. <laughs> I will pull my bra up. You'll see me scratch behind my ear. You'll see me pick up a drink and drink it. Like, I am in my comfort zone. The drink, I do. But I also notice I do this, and I should just explain this to anybody who watches this. I touch my nose a lot, and here's the thing. I do it in a fashion that kind of looks like a coquette. I am not a coquette. It is, <laughs> I know I do, because I literally go, I go all the time. All the time, it's just like a little, <laughs> not today. Uh, <laughs> no. This was actually an intervention, Catherine. We've been worried about you. This wasn't an actual mess in progress. I'm pro- the next mess in progress. Mm-hmm. The intervention. Catherine's intervention. <laughs> um, you see, right now, you just saw me take a little bit of water, put it in my hand, yeah, and then put it on my hair. Fix your hair, yeah. For the fly your waist. But your hair looks cute, like, up like that. Like, I don't like my hair up. Like, mm-hmm. my husband likes my hair up sometimes. My brother hates my hair up. 
and I really don't like my hair because I pull my, I got a big old head and I pull my hair back. It looks like I'm stressed. Like it looks like I don't look cute. Like you look cute. You look like a little girl cute. I don't look, I look messed up with my hair. Okay, there's, the, there's the problem. You just said it. You look little girl cute. First yeah. of all, you want to know why, but you know why? Why? I have a little girl's forehead. Yeah, you do. This, I'm not going to lie to you, player. This is not the forehead of a grown woman. This is a forehead. <laughs> A six-year-old. Not only forehead is she coming soon, like your forehead is still in development. <laughs> this forehead is so like it's the shape. It's the it's the fact that it still has no wrinkles. You know what I mean? Let me get a wrinkle, and that's gonna age me. Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the beauty about wrinkles. I got a big forehead, like a big forehead. So hold on. The more wrinkles I get, the more the forehead doesn't look so big. It's gonna shrink your forehead. So I'm not sure if I'm like. <laughs> I'm not sure if I don't like. You know how some people are like I don't want wrinkles on like my forehead. I don't know yet because I'm like that might change things. Like yo, look at the ponytail though. I'm gonna tell you something. If I saw this meme and it's so true. If it's up here, I look like a little kid, but just it looks better. If it's down. I, like the meme said, I look like a founding father. Facts, facts, <laughs> yes. I can't wear a low ponytail without looking like I've made terrible decisions in my life. <laughs> like that low ponytail makes me look like I tried meth once. Like I look a hot mess. I can't pull off the low ponytail. And if oh. I try the high ponytail, I think it's partially because, like uh, because of my age, if I try the high ponytail, I look ridiculous. I look like... Like, I just joined Ariana Grande's, like, fan club, and I'm going to get them freaking kitty cat ears. It's because there's a level of highness you can and cannot go. Yes. So this is acceptable for a ponytail. Now, if I was doing a bun, you can go higher. Yes. Because a bun, can, if you think about it, a bun is the most absurd hairstyle in the world. It really is. Because it's just a knot. It's so extra. So extra. I love it. But on your head, like it's so extra. Wearing a bun, like I and I have one of those like bun things where you can like you put it on there, you fold your hair over. Yeah, so it's so like, a perfect ballerina. Yes, that perfect little ballerina. And my brother hates when I do my hair like that. Like he cannot <laughs> stand when I have a bun, and I don't like it either because I got mad baby hairs. So they keep sticking out, like my baby hairs be like throwing gang signs on the back of my neck. And I'm like, I can't, I can't control these baby hairs right now. They're just. But you see, speaking of baby hairs, that was the one thing that was messed up. Like the Lord gave me this forehead, but no baby hairs. No little baby hairs to style it or it's a nothing. Do you know how much head I got for baby hairs? Do you understand how laid it could be and how much space? There would be so much space that it wouldn't even touch my eyebrow because it would just be like here, yo. Yeah. I got, I have the perfect forehead. For baby hairs. For baby hairs. Yeah. You really God, was like, God was like, no, we're not going to do that. We, here's the thing though. On this side, if I was to comb it, this one does comb into like, a baby hair ish. Baby hair style ish, yeah. But the other side, the it's left. Nothing. Nothing. You know what that one is? That one's just this long, straight piece of baby hair. <laughs> Whoa. Sticks out. 
I swear to God, even if you put gel in a brush and you try to comb it, it's still a little thing that's like, <laughs> like nah, son. This does not. This is not. It's not your day, son. You know what? I mean? You have you to pluck me. <laughs> you know what hairstyle was like? My ultimate forehead hairstyle, the cowlick. Think about it, right on the side. You know what I mean? You part it on one side yes, and then you comb it down right in front of the forehead. Yes. See, in the 90s and the 80s, when that was the style, it was a good thing to have a big forehead because little forehead girls, little forehead girls had to put hair over their eyebrows and that shit looks weird. Yeah. When you got a little forehead and look, it looks like you're trying to drown your eyebrows in hair, it just comes down right here. But when you got a big forehead, do you, do you know what I have to do? Big forehead look when you would have those those bangs that would like curl and I'd be like, whoo, how do you get your bangs to stay like that? It's all I have, forehead. I have a bangs forehead. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Like you could pull off bangs nicely. Oh, 100%. The only thing I hate about bangs is that, again, the front line of my hair, the crown, is disrespectful, yo. It's disrespectful. Because she don't know what's going when you say your hair is disrespectful, because I've told that to people before, I'm like, my hair is disrespectful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. in the way that I am treated by this hair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, here's the thing. People don't understand. I live in the land of no name for my hair texture. Yeah. Because curly is curly. Straight is straight. And then there's wavy. But I'm not curly. I'm not straight. I'm both straight and wavy. Yeah. And it depends on which part of my head. I feel like the crown was inherited by my mother, which is the wavy. The back was inherited by my father, which is why if I do that like middle part, I've really got a mullet because the bottom is mad straight, but the top is a little bit wavy. It looks so bad. So the crown, again, by my mother, the wavy. That wavy does not want to be tamed by a curl brush when you're doing a bang. It does not. No. Nope. It does not listen. The most disrespectful hair type is wavy. Yes, it is. Because I have curly wavy hair. And when I try to tame my hair, when I blow it out, it will eventually get a wave in it. It doesn't matter what you use on my hair. Yes. That joint is going to get a wave in it. My hair will start to rebel. And do you know why? Because... I think, me, right, it doesn't respect you, but you also don't respect it. I'm That's explaining. True. That's true. Curly girls, girls with curly hair, if, it, you know, they either have, they have their relationships with their hair, but when they love their hair, they have a mutual respect. The hair respects them. They respect the hair. I think they have to respect the hair more than the hair needs to respect them. You know what I mean? But straight girl hair, there's no conversation. What are you doing? Getting up? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you woke well, up. Welcome. Welcome to your perfect life. You right. get up and your hair's done. It's not even perfect. It's just boring. It's just straight, but it's like if I could get up and my hair was just straight, my, it's like I don't, you don't have to fuss with your hair. Right. I got to fuss with my joint. But I, and well, you, you at least have a good amount of like the wave spread around mine is like half and half of two different human beings and so me and my wavy hair just don't like each other like that's the thing i think that the most girls who have the most beef with their hair is wavy hair girls 
Yeah, I feel it. I feel it because yeah. at least with my hair, if I put the right product in it, and it's all a matter of literally like when you have curly hair or you have like curly wavy hair like I have, you have to go, all right, shampoo, conditioner, leave-in conditioner, curling cream. This is now what I have to do. Now I have to grab my mousse. Now I have to curl my hair with my mousse. And then you get the look that you want. But it's a system. And if you break from that system, your hair starts to go, no, 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 play. That's not, that's not how we do this. No, I'm not going to curl now. You know what? I'm just going to lay here. You're not, you're not going to play me like this. Where's, where's my mousse? Where's my curl cream? You ain't even hit me with that deep condition. I thought we was people's. Like curly hair and wavy hair. And it's a certain type of curl. Like if you have ringlets, God bless you. That's beautiful. I have lazy curls. I don't have ringlets. Yours is like me. It's like I'm curled. This is the curl you get. <laughs> Mine is none of that. Mine is like, you ever have trenzas, like braids overnight? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And then you let out the braids, but the bottom of the braids is straight. Like you throw them straight. Yeah, yeah. That's my hair from like below my chin. So if it's long, think about that. It's just like, oh, that looks like a cute little wave. What's happening there? Straight. Oh. Do you understand how this is? Like, I feel like there's been days that my hair saves my life. Like that day it decided to really look great. Yeah. What I like, what my sister likes to call, I think I've said this, the Kelly Kapowski. Yeah. What, you know what I mean? That's not about straight or curly. For some reason, her poof looked good. Yeah, you'd be like, yo, that poof looked really good, son. It looked good. It looked good. And when when I, I, it. Yeah, when I can just naturally wear that, because people don't look at my hair. When If you look at Kelly Kapowski's hair, it looks like somebody had a girl who had wavy hair, ran a brush through it with no oil, with no product, and said, send her on stage. Yeah, somebody did her dirty. Yes. Put in hair and makeup. Did Kelly Kapowski dirty? And, but, and guys was still feeling her though. Because Timothy, Tiffany Amber Thiessen was the shit. And yeah. so she could rock whatever. My thing is the days I get to feel like Kelly Kapowski are the good days. Most days are not that day. Because this hair does not respect me. Because you don't respect it, Catherine. We I do. I be doing things to it. I do. I do. It gets deep conditioner. It gets high quality product. Wow. I buy good. They, if I'm in it, I don't. I don't flatten it a lot. I love it. It don't love me. Sounds like a very abusive relationship, Catherine. Yes, but then I can't live without it because if this the forehead, imagine that. And like, imagine if you were one of those chicks that went crazy and shaved your head during quarantine. Wakala. Wakala. Like, I can't imagine what my head looks like under, like, I could, you ever feel a dent in your head and be like, oh, thank God that's not showing. Yep. I don't know where my mama dropped me, but that joint, I could feel. Here's, here's what I know as a fact, a full fact, before our guest joins us. Yes. Full fact. If I went full bald, the only comments I will have under my picture on Instagram will be from other women who will only be like, girl, you brave, you rocking it. But really, because all of them is just like, damn, damn, damn. And all the guys is going to look at it and go. It's like, did you see, um, what was it, Regina? Was it Regina Hall and Kevin Hart? Yeah. Um, Instagram talking and she, her hair is a hot mess. <laughs> you should see Kevin like, 
Like, that's everybody's reaction to Catherine being bald. Like, oh, oh my God. No, girl, no, you look, you a queen. No, girl, you are a brave, hairless queen with your, with your bald self. You just are so brave. But like, none of the guys will say anything. Because no. all of them know that if they say something, oh, you would get DMs from the guys like, "Damn, you alright? Like everything okay? Like yo, you would get that so, joke. How's how's quarantine treating you? Yeah, you good? You uh, you need anything? Like, have you talked to a doctor or like, uh, when was the last time you left your house, powder? Like, it's so and there will be one who assumes cancer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One without a doubt. Without a doubt, we'll be like, hey, hey, girl, like. uh, I didn't even realize you was going through this. Like, is there anything I could, you got to go fund me or something? Like, and you'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, my favorite thing too is like, somebody just asked me if I, <laughs> I think it was Frankie. Frankie and Jenna came over to move some of the, uh, Jenna's stuff in here. And Frankie was like, so how, are you having fun pretending that you're not pregnant when people ask you if you're pregnant? Like, people are like, oh my God, congratulations. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> What are you congratulating me for? Ain't nothing going on. Like, I don't understand. Oh, you thought I was... Oh, nah, son, I'm not... What are you, you, need to get, you need to get furious. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. What? You know what I just realized? I just realized something. What? It is the worst thing ever that you are pregnant and you cannot take pride in getting a free seat on the subway. I know. I cannot. Oh, our guest is here. Our guest is here. Oh, he's so on time. I love it. All right. Uh, we are going to be joined by comedian Mike Kaplan in a few seconds, everybody. And I'm so excited. One of, my, one of my absolute favorite comedians, oh. Mike Kaplan, ladies and gentlemen. Yay. Or Zoom applause. However, people do these things. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here all the way from outer space. Uh, oh, yeah. If you're only listening, then you can't see that <laughs> my real life and not just a Zoom virtual background is outer space. With a mic. Outer space. <laughs> oh, yeah. The microphone is, re this is a real microphone. Is this thing on? Yes. Is all of this thing on? No. You can see <laughs> my hand disappearing into it if you're looking at it. To the atmosphere. You can see his hand disappearing. Oh, I'm so glad that you agreed to join us. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, uh, tell a little bit about how we met. We essentially met on the uh, New York comedy scene. Like, that's how I know Mike. Um, always loved your comedy. So excited to have you on. Uh, how are things going in quarantine for you? How is, uh, how is comedy life going? Well, as you can see, I'm quarantining in space to take it very seriously. Uh, this, like, people are six feet. What about six? I, w I have no idea how far away uh, the moon is. But uh, I am, you know, I'm, uh, it's answering the question, uh, how are you and what's going on is so complicated. Uh, like, where do I start? You know, well, um, 
I live in Brooklyn with my girlfriend and I'm grateful to have this partner in I was I liked I liked her before. I loved her before and I still do and I'm happy to uh to have this relationship and to have this human being like that you know is I can't I it's hard for me to even imagine like right now I'm in this room and she's in the other room and I guess that's what it would be like if she wasn't here but then forever and I'd be like uh hello <laughs> Um, I guess I'd be doing more more Zoom calls. More like I I talk to my mom almost every day. We at least text. She just got on Facebook, uh, and so I, my my grandmother was on Facebook. Uh, her mother and she just died a little over a month ago, and that's one reason why my mom joined Facebook is because she learned that people were saying nice things about my grandmother, and she wanted to. I was like, I'll send them to you. She's like, I'll. I'll finally join. Uh, previously, uh, Facebook had skipped a generation in our family, but now it's back. It's on firing on all cylinders. Don't worry, Zuckerberg. You got us. But uh, I am. I'm glad to have the I'm, with the time. I'm not glad for the reason for the time, but I'm glad to have the time to be in touch with my mom in our own, you know, personal grieving time, as well as sort of this global uh, solidarity of communal loss and confusion that in some ways is, you know, we're like, what's going to happen? Well, what is happening? So it, it is nice and in some ways grounding to be present with people. And I know it's a privileged yeah. place to be that I'm like, I have a home. I have my health currently. I have insurance. I have uh, a loving partner here. I have, you know, friends that I can be in touch with. I can't, I can't, I have not touring like I was going to be, but I am doing podcasts and streaming shows and excited that I'm releasing an album that was recorded in the before times when performing for live audiences was no longer extinct uh, or, you know, at least on, on hiatus, let's say. So I'm, I'm making, making the most of it. And it's certainly like, it's the thing that I spend the most time on, I guess, is answering the question, how are you? Well, that was a very detailed answer, and I appreciated that detailed answer. And uh, you did mention your album, which is coming out. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? I had the privilege of listening to it. It is great. Yeah. Oh, okay. thank, thank you I, so much. I finished it while I was getting ready, and the, I, the only thing I thought is, oh, he's going to be so much fun to talk to because huh. I just enjoy your pace in general. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And for anyone who doesn't enjoy my pace, you can <laughs> stop or rewind or slow down on a lot of listening uh, mechanisms. So uh, I do think that I was, like a lot of comedians pause for laughs. For me, you might have to rewind for them. But uh, the album is called AKA, uh, which originally it was going to be called All Killing Aside. That was the name that I was touring it with uh, for the last several years. I brought it to Edinburgh to the Fringe Fest. And uh, the, because the content, the, the, as you've listened, the one, some of the themes are like love and compassion and not murdering. Those are the main things. So we're like, perfect name, All Killing Aside. And then uh, perfect time to release it in the middle of a pandemic full of suffering and disease and uncertainty and death and uh it seemed like without the context of what the album is about which if people just see the name of it they might be like hmm, all killing aside like oh yeah other than all this uh sadness and grief and uncertainty what else you got what else is happening like the old uh 
Mrs. L- Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? And so I talked to my mom and she was like, yeah, I think killing might not be a great word for the title right now or ever. And she's like, what about all kidding aside? And I'm like, sure, all ki- uh, that, that, that's also great. I mean, that does make some of the kidding be put to the side. But uh, so we called it AKA to be both short for all killing aside or all kidding aside if your mom or anyone, anyone else. And also it's short for also known as. So the original title is also known as AKA. And so, which also, if you think there's some people like, oh, is it about your name? Because Mike Kaplan is a weird spelling of the original name you were given at birth, Michael Adam Kaplan. And like very uh, well-researched question. Uh, And so, yeah, sure. It means that too. So this is uh, my, my initials are M-A-K and this has sort of been an ask me anything. So this is my A-K-A, M-A-K, A-M-A about my album that I hope you find A-OK that comes out on the 8th of May. So thanks for asking. That's was brilliant. I love that. That well, was amazing. I've had a lot of time to hone that and only that material in these past few weeks. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was that was really great. I loved all the material. Um, and anybody who's listening, please take a listen to it. It's I'm a, I'm such a comedy nerd and such a comedy fan that when somebody does come out with something and and I have the pleasure of listening to, especially when it's somebody that I'm already a fan of. Um, I get super hype about listening to my friends and it's just a really great piece of work and I'm, I'm very happy for you that the album's coming out. Uh, we have this thing that we do, it's like rapid fire questions. So I'm gonna ask you three questions really quickly and you can answer them in whatever way you think is important, whatever order you think is important. Uh, but these are the only three questions that really matter. Uh, one, where are you from? Two, what is your zodiac sign? And three, how did you get started in comedy? So Mike, take it away, Mike. All right. Uh, So it's rapid fire questions, but uh, the molasses level answers. Here we go. (laughs) Um, I grew up in New Jersey. I moved a few different places in New Jersey, uh, starting Livingston, then to Upper Saddle River, then to Allendale, where my mother lives still. uh, When my mom and I moved to Allendale in high school, my dad and my mom got divorced. He moved elsewhere in New Jersey. Uh, so they're now about an hour apart, but uh, the answer could have been uh, just New Jersey. Then I did go to uh, Boston, which is where I started doing comedy. And uh, I got into it in part because I went, to, I went to college at Brandeis and then I went to grad school at Boston University, partially because I didn't know, I didn't want to do anything else or I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I wanted to give myself more time to, uh, at the time I I considered it, I was like, I want to quote unquote be discovered. I was a musician first, a singer songwriter. uh, And some of my songs were funny. Uh, Like I sort of grew up listening to like, they might be giants and Ani DeFranco, you know, two hilarious sets of songwriters. Uh, Ani DeFranco is not a hilarious, I mean, she's probably hilarious, but uh, that was not the main thrust of her music. Though I, I, I I I still love her music, but I wrote these, you know, some quirky songs, some some love songs that, you know, uh, a teenager who'd been in love once maybe uh, was coming. For, I was like, this is what I think the shape of a love song is. But some of the songs were funny. They kind of, some of them were really short and ended with punchlines. So the first place that I performed that was a comedy club, I'd been going out in Boston, like when I turned 21 to like whatever bars would let me in to just play music at open mics or whatever. And you get like, they play, play three songs, play two songs. I called this comedy club 
the comedy studio. Uh, and when I say I called it, I mean, I telephoned it. I was like, I call you the comedy studio. I, I dubbed the, the they're like, well, our name is the comedy studio. So I called them. Uh, <laughs> Rick Jenkins, the owner uh, and uh, still, still the owner today. Uh, he answered and he, I was like, uh, can I come perform my funny songs at your comedy club? And he's like, sure, you can have five minutes. And I was like, ooh, five minutes. That's like way shorter than normal. You get at, a, at an open mic for music. You can spew loads of garbage into the air at a music open mic. But okay, five minutes. So I, I went and I played like two songs and I talked in between them a little bit with, uh, I would call it riffing today. And at that time I called it talking until people stopped laughing and then playing the next song. And I went on after Jonathan Katz, you know, from, uh, oh, yeah, yeah it's Dr. Katz, professional therapist. And like he did a musical bit at the end. And so I really feel like I went on, I'm like, this is my first time going on after the most famous person in the room doing almost exactly what I'm doing. And I feel like that was actually sort of endearingly anxious and in the moment. And, and so I, it was well received. And, but at the time I still wasn't pursuing comedy, uh, but I, I went back to that comedy club whenever they'd let me, which is probably only like a couple times a year. Like I'd bring my friends and he knew that Rick, the owner knew that I wasn't really pursuing comedy. So he wasn't giving me lots of spots that, because I was kind of like a hobbyist, a tourist into comedy at the time. And those spots, like it makes sense to have given them to you know, people really doing comedy and going after comedy, which I started doing a couple years later. So I say that the beginning of my, uh, when I started really wanting to do comedy, getting into comedy, it was, I was, it was 2002. And um, I, I, that, I, I really, I, that's when I learned there were other places to perform. I was like, oh, you don't have to just go to this one building every six months. I can go to these bars and yell into the ether. I can go to these like back rooms of restaurants where nobody shows up except for the other comedians. I can go to, you know, I found out where all the open mics were, where, what the Boston comedy scene was. I don't know how I didn't find out what the music scene was about, but I'm grateful that it happened. So I got into comedy because I was trying to do music and sort of organically shifted and fell into this fell into love fell into a big pot of hot steaming love with comedy <laughs> and so when people ask me like how did you, when did you know that you wanted to do comedy I'll say it was like maybe a little bit after I started doing comedy that I realized that I liked doing comedy but before that I was like I didn't even know that comedy was a thing that you could do I thought it was just the thing that like people once you're on Saturday Night Live once you're Seinfeld once you have a, a sitcom once you're famous because the only comedians I knew were famous comedians because I didn't know about comedy. So I'm like, oh, I assume that you get famous and then they're like, do comedy if you want to, not knowing that most comedians aren't famous, never become, you know, like it, it was such a weird shift and that I had no data points for. So that is when, where, how I came from in the world and comedy. And uh, my zodiac sign is uh, the Chinese year of the horse. And I was born October 7th, if that helps you. October 7th, that would make him a Libra, I think. It, yeah. it is. Uh, I, I sometimes, I have, I have some jokes about the Zodiac, about astrology, <laughs> where I don't want to, uh, so this might require a visual, so if you're watching, you'll see, but I've been told, like, you know, I, I know that Libra, the sign of the scales, the, uh, the you know, balance is, is something. I know there's a lot more to it. I know it's not just the sun sign. There's also the moon sign. There's the rising sign. There's all the other houses and what the exact time and location and year and all these things. So it's not just that, you know, there's only 12 types of people, but 
given that people have found out sometimes that I'm a Libra, they're like, oh, you seem like a Libra. So I'm like, well, on the one hand, that makes sense. And on the other hand, who can really <laughs> say? And then that's my impression where I look like a scale. I'm kind of like, yeah, like a Larry David Jewish Libra. You know what I mean? So uh, that is, so I, I like to tell people that I'm an October horse. October horse, Catherine. Yay. <laughs> that was an October horse. <laughs> That's literally the best answer to what's your sign. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it really is. That was a really nice one. Uh, uh, we had a couple of questions about AKA, if you don't mind indulging us for a little bit. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I lo if you'll indulge me, I love indulging people. So uh, please. <laughs> Well, uh, one of the things was, in your special, you talk a lot about joy and kindness. And at what point do you think we stop being kind as people? Or when did we stop being kind? Uh, I guess, that, what a great question. Uh, in, in sort of the run up to now, like for the past several weeks, I've been doing, you know, a lot of interviews, a lot of podcasts, a lot of just, pe I've been asked a lot of questions about the album. That was, uh, this is the first time I have received this question. It's really nice. I know, you know, as comedians, sometimes you get interviewed like about, hey, where do you get your jokes from? Or, you know, like the same questions, like when, you know, obviously like there's, there's only, in some ways, it seems like a limited number of questions to ask, but I think you have just demonstrated that that's not so. There's unlimited, there's an infinite, uh, array of possible questions. So number one, great question. Often when I say great question, it means I don't know what the answer is, but here are, uh, <laughs> here, here are some answers. Here are some, some things that I think will at least orbit or satellite sort of, you know, around the answers uh, to this, whatever the planet of answer is here. Uh, I guess the first answer I would give is, uh, although it's a wonderful question, I would say that I might disagree with the premise. I don't think that we did stop being kind and compassionate and loving because, I mean, whoever, depends on who you mean by we. Do you mean the human species, like people on earth, us in this room, comedians, uh, you know, Americans, or, you know, people in out, whatever, whatever culture, community, uh, set of people you're talking about, I think there are there are and always have been kind, compassionate people, at least as, and it's, and I think that throughout any person's life, there are times when one is uh, perhaps more like farther along down the path of, of this, like, you know, as far as like when you're a kid, being a child is more about perhaps like, you know, you're taught to be kind, hopefully, but a child is more about receiving and about, you know, like being, like you, you're, you don't have, you don't have anything. You you literally don't have even your existence until you do. You're given, hopefully, uh, what you might conceive of as the gift of your life, and then you're cared for. You're and you're not necessarily expected to. Uh, you know, you you don't have the same. Like you know, you're not legally responsible. Like if a if a kid hits another kid, we're not like you know, you go to jail for the rest of your life. Uh, I guess maybe depending on the race of the child and where it is in the country and history. Uh, sadly speaking, but we we don't expect the same from children that we do from adults, like ethically and morally. There's, and even let's say artistically, there's a, a woman named Linda Barry, who is a graphic novelist and author and a, an artist. Uh, and she, in one of her books, she writes a lot about uh, the creative process. And, in, and there's like a book she has called Syllabus. She's also taught uh, classes. And so this book is like a, a syllabus of creating visual art. And one of the questions, I don't know if it's from this book or another one, but she asked the question, how old do you have to be to make a bad drawing? 
and it's such a, a beautiful question because you don't see like, you know, a three-year-old draw something and think like, ugh, you know what I mean? Like, it looks like a two-year-old drew it. Uh, and, but later in life, people often stop drawing because, I mean, I, I can speak for myself. I was, I was a quote unquote good artist. Like people would tell me like adults, teachers, parents, like maybe they were just encouraging me, but like other kids in my class also were like, these are good. These are like, I was getting them published in the school lit mag and like I was happy with them. And then at a certain point I felt like I wasn't improving. And so I stopped though. Maybe it was that I, I didn't improve anymore because I stopped and, you know, who knows which came first, but similarly to the question, uh, how old do you have to be to make a bad drawing? I think how old do you have to be to be like, you know, responsible for, you know, for your actions, for being kind and respectful in the society. Like, you know, if a kid yells something rude like that on a train about a stranger, that's a diff. We, that we agree that that's different than if an adult yells something rude though. Also that adult, that adult was a child. That adult was a baby. We all were, and we all had, you know, different upbringings, different families, different, uh, maybe, you know, people expressing care for us on a spectrum from like almost nothing to almost everything. And so some of us were fortunate enough to, whether it was, you know, monetarily or emotionally or spiritually, like been, been gifted, like some people perhaps had no money, but had so much love. Some people might've had, uh, no love, but so much money. And, you know, who, yeah, who can say they're about the same. And, uh, I would say, so everyone along their individual life path, like hopefully, like I, 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 had, a, I had somebody on my podcast the other day, this guy, actually the borough president of Brooklyn, uh, Eric Adams, he, his office reached out to me and they're like, can he be on your podcast? And I was like, yeah, like I'd actually seen him speak once at uh, a press conference at a Brooklyn school that I think the whole Brooklyn school was becoming vegetarian. And I have been vegan for the whole time I've been a comedian, which is about 18 years and vegetarian a few years before that. So I was invited to go. I was like, people were like, hey, do you want to see this school become vegetarian? I'm like, yeah. And I learned that he, this man, he's like a, uh, an African-American man close to 60 years old. He is also, he leads a, a plant-based dietary life. And I was like, this is fantastic. I was like, I wonder like what, and his story was so fascinating. He had been like uh, assaulted by the police as a young man and then became a member of the police later in life. And then was like the police, this is like too late. We need to address things earlier. Be like before things even get to the, we need to get to kids like early, like, like education. Education is like the key that will help keep people from having to need, you know, legal, uh, uh sort of confrontation. And, um, and so I talked to him and he, he said that his mother had told him that uh, if you're fortunate enough to live long, then you'll be unfortunate enough to experience pain. And then the question is, what, what do you do with that pain? Like, how do you convert that pain into purpose? And I was like, I'd never, I, I, I've heard, like, I've never heard it expressed that way. And it was sort of beautiful and evocative and really stuck with me. Uh, I've remembered it for several days and uh it was the the interview was like a week ago but uh i do think i'll remember it for a long long time and it reminds me also of my one of my favorite quotes from the book the prophet by khalil gibran uh and the quote is the greater that sorrow carves into your being the more joy you can contain and it doesn't mean that every bit of sorrow you experience necessarily you know, correlates to, oh, well, now I got my sorrow. Now I get my joy. Go out and, you know, keep harvesting sorrow and converting it to joy. But, you know, I do know that like the loss of my grandmother is 
sorrowful, but it also then comes with it, uh, or and, not even but. It's, there is sadness, and also there is now greater communion with my mother and with other family members and with people who were her friends and people who are reaching out in this time, like with stories about her that I didn't know and the lives that she had touched that now there is like the, the carving of sorrow is filling up with, you know, there was joy when she was alive and now there's also joy further and it's sort of like this intermingling of joy and sadness and I feel like I've learned you know I've I've done I've read a number of books by like different spiritual writers and leaders and authors and speakers and thinkers and like just trying to I I, I feel like it's you know we're all on different we're all on our own individual path and I didn't even know about all of this before. Like, I feel like probably 2014 is when I started thinking about the kind of stuff that would then make it into like this hour of comedy, uh, you know, focusing on joy, compassion, and these kinds of, you know, not just thinking of it, not just trying to see everything positively because it's also important to address, you know, the, the suffering that exists in our own lives and in the lives of others. But, and I think that, like when you look for these things, like it's all there. So like the, the sadness exists in the loss of my grandmother and the joy exists in everything that comes along with that. And so I think it's the question of like, what, when did we stop? When did we stop being kind? When, we, when did we stop being compassionate? It's not, it's not that we did, it's that it's always been, there is, there is anger and there is joy. There is fear and there is hope. There, there's all these things in society, in history, and like in interpersonally and in, intrapersonally, like within ourselves. And uh, I think I'm almost done answering your question, but uh, Teek Nhat Hanh is a, an author I like a lot. And he says, I think, I think the book that I read this in is called like How to, how to Fight, I think. It's, uh, he has all these how-tos, how to walk, how to eat, how to rest, how to see, I think, how to meditate. And they're all kind of about how to meditate. But the one about fighting, he talks about the seeds inside of us that like if somebody says something hurtful, if we get into a disagreement, that we can water the seed of anger or we can water the seed of understanding, listening, compassion, the seed of compassion to understand that sometimes we have said things that have been hurtful to people. And so we can understand who this person is, who is saying something. And so instead of escalating it, uh, it's like the thing, you know, getting holding a grudge is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die and the flip side of that that i don't know if it gets as much airtime uh i'm not, i don't saying that i created this that i improved on this saying but uh i offer that uh being kind and being forgiving when possible uh if you can if, if it speaks to you to do that like is like taking medicine and then also hoping that the other person uh gets healthier and sometimes that happens like there's there's so many times that uh, and these aren't, these are like slogans that are easy and like, if you don't know them, if you've never heard them, if you haven't been taught them, if you haven't like come across them in life, like I, like we all didn't at some point until we do. And some people maybe don't until way later or not at all. But like, then even learning the slogan is like, you know, sort of revelatory, but then learning it and knowing it is not the same as doing it. Like, like my grandmother had a, had a sign in her home. Uh, that said, be nice or get out, which is funny. Uh, and it was so much her. Like, she was so loving and also that. And it was so funny. And there's, like, part of part of the album is, like, uh, it, it's not explicitly talking about her, but that's so much of, so much of, I mean, my experience in life is, like, you learn, you want to learn how to treat people. And then sometimes you see other people treating people the way that you wouldn't treat people. And you're like, hey, 
go, what, stop yelling at those people. And now you're yelling at the person to stop yelling. And it's, it's difficult to, you know, to walk the walk of, of the talk. But uh, I mean, and it's important to personally uh, try, you know, to try and remember to like when you're meditating, try like, oh, remember breathing? Like, oh yeah, you were doing it the whole time, but you weren't thinking about it. You weren't mindful about it until like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Breathing. That's a good thing. Like, oh yeah. Kindness to myself. You know, even there's so much beating of ourselves up, beating up of ourselves, like emotionally, like when you, if sometimes in the past when I felt sad, like after uh, I was married and I got divorced and I, I was so, the saddest that I'd ever been in my adult life at that point. And I, I then piled on top of myself being like, but you're supposed to be happy. Don't you want to be happy? Why aren't you, what, what are you doing? You're failing at being happy on top of the marriage failing. And the marriage wasn't a failure. It was just, we weren't compatible. And my being sad at a sad thing wasn't a failure. It was a very reasonable response to be sad when there is an external stimulus that is sad. And so I had to learn at some point to forgive my, certainly forgive myself in that moment where the only person I was hurting was myself by being like, hey, like, why, why are you hurting yourself? Why are you hurting yourself? Like that old thing. Like, why, why do you, why are you doing it? Like just, you can, and it's hard to stop because uh, we develop these patterns. So I guess, you know, we, it's all, it's all like cycles and spirals that uh, we hopefully get to mindfully take a step back from uh, through whatever readings or meditations or guides or paths that we find or see that seem like they could be a valuable way. So uh, I'm sorry, your, your question didn't make any sense. <laughs> um, I, I did have, I, you mentioned you were uh, vegan. So I, this is the thought that's really random, but I just, I've never been vegan. I know Gina has well, gone to a short period of time before I was pregnant. So I don't really know what like um, shopping as a vegan would look like, but I'm thinking about shopping in general right now, like food shopping. Yeah. So like, do you find it harder or is it the same? And I say that because I go to the supermarket and there's just some things that are not available, like around me, you know what I mean? And in sure. any category. So I'm like, when you have dietary restrictions and we're in the middle of a pandemic, does that change things? Like I have certain restrictions, but nothing that is too crazy. Uh, good question. Thank you for asking. And I would say in some ways, uh, the, I don't see it as a restriction even like, but even if we did, let's say, let's say it's a constraint. Uh, it's, it, it, I don't, I don't eat everything, but even within the category of, you know, vegetables or vegan food, like look at the food pyramid, like, you know, meat is only one part of it and all the rest of it is not. And then, you know, dairy is one part of it. And so in fact, like for me, I became vegetarian maybe when I was like 19 and I was worried, I was worried about like the same, the same thing that you're asking right now is like, will I, what? what, will I be able to eat anything? And I actually expanded, like growing up, I ate, like my mom says that I ate the three Ps, which were pizza, pasta, and peanut butter. And I think I did eat other things, but they didn't really fit in with the, uh, the, the what is it? Uh, I'm trying to think of what letters are in science. Uh, or the, eh, anyway, it didn't fit in with the literary, the alliterative uh, 
let's say, let's start this podcast over. Um, the framework that she had established. Uh, but uh, so I ate lots of different, I ate, I eventually ate lots of different things. Like I learned in college about, you know, Indian food I'd never had growing up or uh, Cambodian food, or I don't think I'd really even had Thai food. Like even like the only sort of non, uh, the only foods like not from America that I'd had growing up, like maybe Chinese food, pizza, maybe, you know, uh, perhaps Mexican food, but uh, but then there was I found out there's so much you know there's so there's like Moroccan food, Ethiopian food, like so and all of the almost all of these genres or these uh, these cuisines uh, had like you know go to an Ethiopian. Ethiopian restaurant, there's like a vegan section of the menu. Go to a Thai restaurant or a sushi restaurant or a Chinese restaurant, there's like the vegetable section of the menu. So certainly eating out uh, and then now certainly like I've been vegan since like 2002 and uh, it's gotten easier and easier. Like it's just gotten more and more plentiful. Like even people ask about on the road, is it hard? And I'm like, now, now that question is done. I'm very glad. But it even before like being on the road like most if, if i'm in a city from a city with a comedy club or a college like there are grocery stores there are restaurants there's you know like bean burritos at chipotle there's uh i would say there's like the produce aisle at the supermarket there's a public park that you can graze on the grass in uh a fun joke and uh i'll just let you know when i'm saying things that are fun jokes but uh now just to to center in on your question about the supermarket i mean like the produce aisle is uh, where I shop, I shop at the Park Slope Food Co-op, uh, where I'm a member, and they don't have all the vegetables all of the time. So, like, maybe I want Brussels sprouts and I can't get them, but there maybe I want squash and they don't have it. But they do have. They've had. They've always had something. Like I feel like the the supply chains of food have not broken down uh, completely, uh, or maybe at all. But so there's always there always are. Uh, vegetables plentifully and not only vegetables like there's in the frozen section there are these frozen burritos that I like a lot there my girlfriend is gluten-free as well so we we have even more uh, like streamlined like it actually makes it in some ways easier like artistically like have you thought have you heard about this like the idea that if you if you have to sit down and write anything then what then you're like I could do anything like and it, it can be actually sort of more writer's block inducing than if somebody's like here's your assignment write something like this or like write a haiku and you're like well I know it's got to be it's got to fit in these lines write a sonnet it's got to fit with these rhymes and with comedy if you're like I'm gonna write some late night monologue jokes then you can sit down look at the news and like bang 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 like just like write them as many as you can and then pick the ones that you like but if you're like write anything like well what do you want it to be do you want it to be a joke about about, uh, if it's a joke or a book or a movie or a song? Is it, is it about your life? Is it about something philosophical? Is it about current events? Is it about social justice? Is it absurdism? Is it, you know, what is it? Is it a cartoon? What genre is it? So in some ways, like right now, I have a bunch of books on my shelf. Uh, and my girlfriend has this book called Goodbye Things, which is about minimalism and how valuable it can be. And so we've been during this time, like going through and being like, what do I really think I'm going to read? What do I really want to read? What do I, what, 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 what books do I want in my life? You know, sort of Marie Kondo style as well. I, I'm like, well, if I could, if I had infinite time, I think I'd read all these books. But like, I don't have infinite time. Which ones am I excited about? Like, and there's a book that I'm actually not reading that I'm choosing to not read called The Art of Choosing. And I think it's, I think I read about it that like humans, 
like it, it's good when we have some choices, but not infinite choices. Like if you have no choice, like look at, you know, the average American, like big supermarket, there's so like every, so many aisles of so many options. It can be overwhelming, like unless you know exactly what you want, uh, but you're like, oh, do I want this brand, this kind, this size? But I think the the idea of like having like one to like having like three or four options is like, that's the sweet spot. Like when I go out to a restaurant that's not vegan and they have a menu that has like a few things that I could eat, I'm like, great, am I gonna get this or this? Like it's actually in some ways, you might not know it from the frenetic pace that I speak at, but calming. There's a calm center here inside all of this verbal, linguistic, acrobatic flailing. And it's part of it is based in like, there's a, I think Steve Jobs, had like the same outfit every day that he wore and he just had a closet full of them. Same thing with Batman, you know? And it's to uh, combat decision fatigue and because decision, like he's like, I want to use my brain for other stuff. So why not just wear the same thing every day? For some people, they eat the same thing for breakfast every day. And uh, for some people, they more live to eat rather than eat to live or some combination depending where you are on that spectrum. But for me, I, I still feel there's like tons of variety. Once I've zoomed in on veganism uh, for the reasons that I want to be, which are, you know, caring for like how animals are treated. And uh, I'm like, well, that's definitely, so now this is a given. I am eating this plant-based life. So what are the plants? What are the fungi? What are the the grains? What are the what are the proteins? What like, and I learned there's, once you zoom into it, there you can zoom, so, there's so many more options than, there's so many vegetables that I don't eat regularly. There's so many things that I could eat that I look at other people like, and like, how do, how do you, you, you have so many options. Like it must be overwhelming, but we all like focus in on our, you know, what makes us comfortable, what we've grown up with, what, what our choices are. Like when I go to Thanksgiving at my father's house, like his family, uh, he married an Italian woman and uh, they have for Thanksgiving, like the standard Thanksgiving, you know, foods. And then they also have these additional Italian foods. And like I started going there, I think I wasn't a vegetarian when I started, but like when I be, when I started in my teens going to that, those Thanksgivings and I would get stuffed and it would hurt because I was like, I want to eat everything because I'm an American, because I'm a, a completist. I want to try everything. I want to <laughs> do everything. I want to have everything in my body and mind and consciousness and experience. And now I know that I can't and I'm glad. I'm glad to have the, the chosen constraints that like for the various reasons in my life that help me statistically, I feel like scientifically and spiritually, it's valuable for me to have these like it, what seem to some like limitations, but for, for me makes it so that like I can not be, you know, sort of uh, paralyzed with indecision. It helps to make a decision when you have a limited number of things to decide between, and I am grateful that the places I've been shopping uh, haven't run out of vegetables. <laughs> I love how you cap everything off. <laughs> I, I find that uh, I, I like uh, complete, I like closing parentheses. Like I know that uh, I, I feel like it's, it, maybe I'm not the only, I think I'm not the only one, uh, but I, sometimes I like when I listen to my mom on the phone, when I'm talking to my mom on the phone, sometimes we'll start a topic. She'll ask a question. I'll start to answer it. She'll be reminded of something. And then I feel like I, my comedy is sort of comes directly from the lineage of like my mom's like jazz improvisational phone conversation stylings. And it might end up that like, 
will will conclude somewhere very far away from where we began. And be like, why are we talking about this? And so, in my comedy and on my podcast and often on my phone calls, it's it's fun. It's fun to be able to trace it back to remember what you know why we're doing what we're doing, why we're saying what we're saying. Like, I'm glad for the journey to be enjoyable. And then it's nice to, on top of that, be like, and here is why any of this was happening. So if I can, I like to. <laughs> that was great. Um, we do have a segment on the show called uh, Dear Gina, where our listeners will write in asking advice on uh, certain things, every, every aspect of life from relationships just to everyday life. Uh, and we give them the best advice we can. We each take a turn just kind of giving advice. So I'll throw the question out there for this, uh, for this episode. It's Dear Gina, what's the fine line between disrespect and sarcasm? Um, which I think is a great question. And I love it. Because I feel like it's really up to your interpretation. I think um, you make that decision as to what's disrespect and what's sarcasm. Because you decide exactly what you were saying before, what seed do you water? If somebody said something to you, it is, it is really up to your feelings. And I've had that struggle before where I'm like, was I just disrespected? Or was this person just trying to joke with me? And I've had to make that call. and. Most of the time I choose not to be offended by it only because it's like I, I'm the only one in control as to whether or not I get offended by something. Even if someone does say something disrespectful, it's on me to decide if I get upset about it. Do I take that in and then go on the defensive and now become the attacker? Now I get to be mean to you because you were mean to me in my world. And that creates a cycle of such negativity that I don't even want. I just decide like if someone crosses the line one too many times or even just one time, I go, okay, well now I know where I stand with you. We don't ever have to talk again. And I'm fine with that. And that's kind of the ecosystem that I create. Um, disrespect and sarcasm, what's the fine line? I think that's to me the most important part of it, right? That it's about at what point are you crossing it? Because I do think that within certain friends, like if it's me and Gina, she understands my personality. She understands when I'm being sarcastic. So to her, it might not be disrespectful, because, but I know that. I know I can express that with you. I do think that if you're intelligent, if you're aware mostly, you know when you're about to cross the line. You know when what you might affect a certain other person, especially if you're really reading their vibe. And I think that's really important to me read the room. Um, now, mind you, I mean, when it's like one-on-one -on -one or maybe like a few people, if it's a ton of people, I'm sorry, then that's on you. Like take it however you want to take it. But I do think it's about awareness, um, knowing where you might've just crossed it. But for, for, for the sake of comedy writing, for instance, this is something I tell people all the time. I go, I agree when um, people talk about comedy and say that like a, a well-written joke is all that it really takes, in my opinion. It's like, some people be like, but it's still offensive. It's well written. And that I stand on. I'm like, that's, if it's well written, you delivered it well, and it's, it makes the point, then it's funny, and that's that. So yeah, some people might, in that sense, go, oh, is it disrespectful, but I think, or was it sarcastic? It was funny. So that's my answer. Uh, do, may, may I answer now? Yeah. Uh, I, first, <laughs> For, uh, I have so I'm so excited to say whatever I'm going to say. But first, I just want to say, 
I do have a one word answer, but then I will say many other words. Uh, and but that, that's our teaser. But right after this, uh, our, right after these messages of my saying how much I love uh, the genre of advice. In fact, uh, like I read so many advice columns and I listen to so many advice podcasts. I love Dan Savage's Savage Lovecast uh, and the Savage Love column. Uh, Dear Prudence, I like a lot. Uh, I'll say I also love. I love. Uh, I'll say I love them all. Captain Awkward is one that I read and uh, there's there's too many I mean I'm glad that there are so many I mean obviously back as a child I, I would read Dear Abby and Ann Landers I actually just went on Jackie Cation's podcast Dork Forest and talked about my dorkdom was advice columns and I I really like I love them so much uh, I guess because I like telling people what to do or I like when people are telling people. I like when people are, I think the, the, the positive, the, I'll be generous to myself. I like when people are seeking help, when people are looking for answers in life of how to live the best, how to live the most fulfilling, enjoyable, compassionate life. And so my one word answer to this question is intent. My uh, like if if so, if a person is intending to be sarcastic and not intending to be disrespectful, that is where one important line is. Then there's the question of where how is it received, which I think you both did touch. Like you, you both touched on beautiful, relevant things. Like and I'll say the way that comedy uh, often operates and the way that any art operates is like there's often an intent behind it. And even if it's done, let's say like Dave Chappelle like stopped being, stopped doing the Chappelle show because he was doing this brilliant uh, uh, satire about race. And also some people, even though I think so many people like comedy scholars and historians and fans like comedy nerds and like almost any reasonable person looking at what he was intending and what he was achieving almost across the board was like he was intending jokes that were successfully being received as jokes, except by some people who were racist, who were like, I like that you're using those words and pr uh, propagating or perpetuating those stereotypes. Like, I love the stereotypes, man. And like not, not accepting it, not receiving it as it was intended. And that he saw people laughing who he didn't want to be laughing in the ways that they were laughing, even though it was pr probably uh, a small minority of the people receiving it. Uh, but that was enough for him. Like, so it's, it's not, un unfortunately, like to him, it wasn't as simple as like, these are jokes, I'm intending them to be jokes. And whether you like them or not, that this is what they are. He was like, ooh, like, because also as comedians, we, it's important to get feedback. Like, if I have a joke about a topic that I, like, let's say, it's not just that it has a word in it that people might respond to or not like or is controversial, but if it's like a thoughtful, you know, I'm like, I want to say a thing about a topic that might be difficult to joke about. And then if people in, let's say it's about a community that I'm not a member of, and then if, if somebody in that community tells me that I, it's not accomplishing what I wanted it to, then I might, like, I was certainly not intending disrespect, uh, but I, I will now incorporate that. I'm like, oh, can I make the joke better? Can I make it more clear? Can I make it more bulletproof, more undeniable? Because I want, I don't want the joke to only be, for, like, especially I, if it's about, if it's about somebody that I'm not. Like, I try to read, mostly write from my own experience, about my own experience, and I'm not like, this group of people is, like such and such, but 
you know, if there's an observation that you make and you're like, oh, this seems, this seems really valuable and valid and funny and original. And then if you're told by the majority of the people like that, that you're like, that we actually disagree, then we're like, oh, well, that's, then I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not infallible. Um, and so I think that I, the thing that I thought about with art uh, in general, somebody like, what is art? Is it about being intended to be art or is it about being received as art? And it's both. I think that the, the most, the artiest art is like a painter is like, I'm making a painting and this is art. And then people watch and they're like, oh yeah, that's a painting. They watch the painting. They always got to do anything. Oh, they're just looking at the painting. That is art. We, uh, we agree. The arter and the RT. We agree that that is art. Now, you can also make a painting that nobody ever sees except for yourself. Then you're kind of like the arter and the RT and you don't, you don't need to go down that main artery of people receiving it. But is it, st it's still art. Like you can play music in your basement. You, you can, it's hard to do comedy on your own, but you, these days we all kind of are as well. But uh, the other side of things, I'm like, could there be art that is not intended to be art, but people receive it as art, like found art, or like say somebody angrily kicked a can of paint and it splattered against a wall, and then somebody sees it and they're like, wow, that's art. And the guy's like, oh no, I didn't, I was just mad, and so I kicked some paint. He's like, ah yes, that emotion, that is where the art came from. And so like the artist, there's no, the artist is like, I'm not an artist, I didn't, I didn't mean to make art, I'm not intending art, but they're like, but I've received it as art. So sometimes, like the fine line, it, it depends on who the person is, uh, which side of the, the respect, which side of the sarcasm are you on? And it's, it's a shifting thing. It's not just a, a point. It's like a wave. It's, and it requires, especially with comedy or with art, it, with comedy, it's a conversation. A comedian's like this, and the audience is like, uh-huh, or no, or what, you know? And then it's sort of a, an ongoing series of conversations to determine, like, what is ultimately the, you know, the honed, finished joke. Back to the, the question of where's the line between disrespect and sarcasm, like, if you are intending sincerely, like, if you're not intending any disrespect, but it's received as such because, like you were saying, if you don't know the person as well, like, which sometimes happens with audiences or if you're at a party or whatever, you're talking to somebody you don't know as well, you say something and they don't receive it the greatest, then it could, oh, if it really wasn't your intent to make them feel bad, then in that moment, like, oh, if you, if you double down and you're like, well, you're, it's your problem. Like, like you were saying, Gina, we, we can only control our own like actions and thought, if anything, we can control, I don't know if we can even control those, but we certainly can't control other people's. We can only like do what we think is the best, the funniest, the, the most appropriate in any given situation. And part of that includes like, if you've said something and it hurts somebody's feelings, even if you didn't intend it, sometimes then the thing to do could be like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't intend that. And I think then disrespect comes in like not acknowledging another person's lived reality, whether it's, you know, in a conversation or in receiving comedy. Like, uh, and it's, it's totally fine to, I mean, I think it, I certainly have jokes that I've said, and pe some people would be like, that's not my favorite joke, or I don't like what it's about, or, and it's not even that there is an objective, this is a good, this is a good joke for everybody, or it's funny to everybody, like, you don't have to, like, not everyone, the same way, like, this food tastes objectively good, like, you can look at the recipe, and this is, like, I put in all these high quality ingredients, but if somebody doesn't like eggplant, then they might not like your perfect eggplant dish, and, like, if it's somebody's style of comedy, they might not like your style of comedy, or your personality, but, 
if you're per if people are telling you a lot that you are being disrespectful, like then perhaps you know your personality needn't be a fixed thing that doubles down every time you're like, sorry, I just tell the truth. Well, there's a lot of other there's a lot of truth to tell. You don't have to. I just tell it like it is. Well, there's a lot of other ways that it could be, not just the way that it has been and is right now. So, in conclusion, uh, I think uh, a friend of mine who is. Uh, a Buddhist uh, practitioner, and he teaches he he teaches some classes in Buddhism, and he also works as a a therapist. And he told me about a group therapy session that he had once, wherein somebody had said was raising uh, what seemed to be maybe a hypothetical, and they said, let's say there's a person like banging on a door to be like, come out, come out here. And then a person on the inside who's like, no, I'm not coming out. And they're like both kind of angry. And the person says, in that situation, who is the person who should be like looking within to try and change what they're doing? And the answer that he gave was, it depends. Which one are you? And that's the, the thing is, in this question, like, is this person who wrote in, are they concerned with somebody else disrespecting them? Are they concerned with disrespecting someone else? Like, are they making jokes that people are misunderstanding? Are they the president? You know, the president who recently, as we record this, like said something that seemed very serious and uh, and then was like, that was sarcasm. Like he's, in, and let's not, not to get too much into him, but there are people who say something that it's unclear whether it is a joke, unclear whether it is sarcastic, unclear how much they mean it, and they're playing in that, they're like, they know that that's what's happening, at least later, and so then they can be like, oh yeah, uh, you thought I was serious? That was just joking. When, as comedians, you can, I think most comedians, and most, again, reasonable people, I think can understand that if you must say it was a joke afterwards, then it wasn't clear that it was a joke during and you didn't do a great job as a comedian. Like it's clarity is, is something that can exist. Like, uh, I'm sorry I said I was almost done, but one more thing. <laughs> Stephen Colbert, years ago, I saw an interview with him when he was doing the Colbert Report and he had his character uh, that he did on the show. And the interviewer asked him, he's like, how do I know who's going to be answering the question? Is it going to be real life Stephen Colbert or is it going to be the character Stephen Colbert? And Stephen Colbert said, oh, well, whoever you want to answer, I can answer. I don't want to like trick anyone. Like that's not the purpose of my comedy or my satire. He's like, it's actually the opposite. I want people to know exactly like what I, what I think and who I am and what I believe. And like, that's the purpose of satire is not to confuse people. It's to get a message across as well as to get comedy across. And so I do think that, yeah, the, the answer is in, <laughs> to make a long story infinite, uh, and repetitive intent. The, the intent of the person uh, is what determines whether it's intended to be disrespectful or sarcastic. And then uh, the reaction of the person who receives it is what then is like the next step in determining like how you continue to live your life. And I second everything, everything that you both said, but, and specifically Gina, what you were saying about like, if somebody says things to you that hurt your feelings and you don't agree on how to communicate and get along with each other and be friends. Like you don't have to talk to them. You don't have to listen to them. You don't have to be friends with them. If you, if you share your experience and they deny it, if they, if they try to tell you about your inner experience, if they're like, no, you didn't get upset about that. You weren't offended. You weren't disrespected. Like disrespect and respect, respect. It's all a two way street. And, 
I think about it with embarrassment also. Some people are like, oh, that was so embarrassing. But embarrassment takes two. If nobody is making you feel embarrassed, then the thing that you feel inside isn't what I would call embarrassment. And you don't have to. Or even if somebody's trying to make you feel embarrassed, if you don't feel it, then they're not succeeding. So you can, if somebody could intend to disrespect you, but you could also just like sort of glance out of the way and be like, oh, I see what you were maybe trying to do but I, I don't accept it. I don't let you water that seed within me. Like uh, one final thing, I think, I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I love this question so much. There's at the People's Improv Theater, uh, there's a sign backstage or there was years ago that I saw that stuck with me and it was about performance. And it said, uh, while you're on stage with people, basically it was like, assume that everything's on purpose and everyone's a genius. And so it's like, if somebody makes a mistake, don't assume it wasn't a mistake. Be like, oh, what if that was really what they meant to do? And so in life, you know, maybe why not start with that positive, generous view? Be like, oh, probably this person isn't trying to, dis maybe this person is being respectful and caring and kind. And what's a generous, like, obviously, if you're in like a, a situation where it's clear that they are, that there's somebody who is being harmful, being abusive, like then get out of there. But before that point, if somebody just says something that could be taken either way, why not choose to interpret it the nice way, react like they're saying a nice thing. And then if they're like, oh, no, I was trying to be mean, then be like, oh, well, then I guess we're not friends. Oh, no, I was trying to be mean to you. <laughs> yeah, oh, you, did you not understand that I was trying to be mean? I'm like, oh, no, I mean, uh, I, just, I just assume that you're doing that because of some damage inside, and I, I hope that you improve. Like, I hope that you find within yourself the reason why you wanted to try to be mean. Like, I want to be, be nice to you and uh, see that, that you probably did that for a reason that was beyond your control, and I love you. That's a really beautiful answer. You've given some really... Yes. Beautiful, very thought-provoking oh. answers. They're great and questions. I, I can't take any credit. It's just the questions. <laughs> no, but it's, it's really nice to talk to somebody that takes the time to be thoughtful about those questions because some people do, you know, whether you feel like, you, you may feel like you're talking and talking and talking. And it's like, for me, I'm so, I'm so listening to you. Like, I'm so tuned into what you're saying that I'm like, I could listen to him answer this question for another 20 minutes. Like, this, every, oh. every point that you've made has meaning behind it it's not like you take these questions and you actually take them in and i appreciate that um we are going to ask you now where people can find you so you can tell everybody where they can find you i don't know if aka is officially out yet is it out yet as we it comes out may 8th 2020 so if it is if it is may 8th or beyond in 2020 <laughs> it is available if it is before that as we are recording it before that it is available for pre-order on if you want to you know if you go onto itunes you can get there's a couple tracks that are available now in advance and then may 8th you'll get all the rest of them or on apple music you can stream or if you don't if apple is like a forbidden fruit to you there's amazon there's uh it'll be on all the places and it's on on Blonde Medicine is the name of the record label. So it's at blonde with an E medicine.com slash AKA or my website, mikekaplan.com slash AKA. Like also right now you're listening to a podcast. You're at least tech savvy enough to have managed that. So if you look for my name, Mike Kaplan, M-Y-Q Kaplan with a K, uh, if you look for that name and AKA the album, then you will, uh, I 100% believe in you. People sometimes ask, they're like, well, where's the best place to get it? Where 
where it, what helps you the most? Like, where do you get the largest percentage of money? And I think what a thoughtful question that is. And so I did ask my producer, he said, well, number one, they could just Venmo you as much money as they want. hundred percent at Mike Kaplan. They can do that. They don't have to please. Uh, but you're allowed to do that. You could join my Patreon for my web, for my, uh, podcast and give me money that way. If you want to feel like you're want to feel like, and actually be receiving something. But, uh, he also said for downloading, uh, iTunes and for streaming, whatever streaming service you pay for, but really anywhere you find it, anywhere you listen to it, uh, I'm grateful and I thank you. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, at M-Y-Q-K-A-P-L-A-N, at Mike Kaplan, the way I spell it in all the ways. And my podcast is called Broccoli and Ice Cream. Fantastic. <laughs> Catherine, tell the lovely people where they can find you. Um, on social, um, everything but Twitter, it is Catherine G. Mendoza, And on Twitter, it's Kathy Grace 24 I have to close my eyes. I forget. <laughs> you guys know you can find me at Brion on Instagram, ginabrion.com or .net. We'll take you to the website. You can check out my HBO special, Easily Offended, on streaming now. And coming soon will be an hour on Amazon called The Floor is Lava. I'll keep you guys posted when that is coming out. Until then, I always like to leave you with a piece of advice my mom gives me to this day. Uh, when life is throwing a lot at you, take it one catastrophe at a time. So take it one catastrophe at a time, people. Until next time, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Kat. Bye, Bye everybody. Deuces. Bye. Thank you. Hands on deck, I swim in it like David. Yeah, do it like that. You the kind of chick that's ready to fight back. Looks damn good, but really she type bad. Go to sleep, I call him my night cat. Born killer, you a born killer. Mm. Go on, get him. Go on, go on, get him. Mm.